0: Hello. Fully or only partly forgiven? That's the issue facing us this time in our Bible study on Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. I'm thrilled you've been able to join us for talk number six. It's about our Christian identity and how the Bible describes us and Brian will be giving us its words of reassurance as he discusses the question, am I really fully forgiven? So, now to Brian. Thanks, John. Memories can be painful
1: things, especially when they cause us to reflect on personal failures. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Once a year, God used to ask his people to remember and confess their sins over the head of a living goat before sending it away. He wanted them to savour forgiveness. In the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, in the letter to the Hebrews, the writer comments on that now obsolete annual procedure once carried out by the Israelites under the law of Moses. And he says in Hebrews 10, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We might ask, but what then was the point of these annual offerings, if it was impossible for them to take away sins? All those animals were sacrificed, but still sins were not taken away, In fact, by reminding the people of their sins, those very same sacrifices in a way served to add to their guilt. There was a remembrance of sins year by year in that they brought their faults to mind. Negative feelings would surely be stirred up by the memories of their inadequacies, as this goat was paraded before them. But wait a minute, let's start at the beginning. We're wanting to get on to talk about the forgiveness of sins here, but we'd better, first of all, define what the Bible means by sins. Within biblical Christianity, the word sin means missing the mark. An archer misses the bullseye, the very central part of the target. A high jumper fails to clear the bar. A sinner fails to achieve God's standard. We were created to be the image and glory of God, but we rebelled. And as a result now, we all fall short of the glory of God. Not only do we no longer fulfil our design requirements as part of God's creation... But our sin, the Bible teaches us, is offensive to God. It's an affront to his holy character. His anger burns against sin, but graciously God has made provision for it. In the time of the Old Testament, God gave instruction to his people that if any of them sinned, he or she was to take a lamb or goat and approach God's altar. And there the animal was to be offered up in his or her place as a substitute. The person offering the animal as his sacrifice generally identified with it by laying his hands on it. Its life was surrendered in place of his, which was forfeited through sin. Or, in the case of one special day each year, when all the people gathered, a goat was then taken for them all and had their sins confessed upon its head, and it was then taken away and released into a solitary desert place from which it never returned. Symbolically, it bore away their sins. It was this goat that was originally known as the scapegoat. The chapter of Hebrews that we were previously reading from continues. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. But this shows they were never meant to be more than an interim measure. God found no ultimate satisfaction in them. So how effective were such Old Testament sacrifices as the goats we were thinking about? We've heard the Bible itself say that they could not put away sins. So what was the point of them? They were like signposts, which all pointed forward to the coming of Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. I also like to picture them as being like bankers' cheques. Think about it, a cheque by which we might pay for some goods, is only a piece of paper. In itself it's worthless but it is in effect a promise. It's a promise that the person who receives it will soon have in his bank account the same sum of money that's written on the cheque. The goods we buy with a banker's cheque are really only paid for when the cheque is finally presented to the bank by the seller who received it from us. At the bank it's cleared, meaning the money is then finally transferred out of our bank account and into the seller's bank account. All the sacrifices for sins long ago in the Old Testament were like cheques, in that they held out the promise that one day sin would be properly paid for. They pointed forward to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross for our sins, according to the Bible, it was then that sins were actually and finally put away previously in the time of the Old Testament and by means of the animal sacrifices, sins were only ever passed over. The cross is the one and only place where sins could be and were put away. Christ's death there finally paid for all the promises of the Old Testament sacrifices. Jesus' death wasn't a promise for the believer, it's the reality. The cross is like the bank where all the checks were cleared, where all our guilt was cleared in God's sight. And so every believer's sins were fully paid for, settled in full, fully forgiven, totally cleared. And this applies also to those sins which we've yet to commit. They cannot affect our in Christ status. But when we're conscious of having sinned, we should confess it and clear it with him according to the instruction found in 1 John chapter 1. This will enable God to continue to be able to use us in his service until the Lord returns and we go to be with him where sin will never be any more of a problem. That's so, so wonderful. But some Christians seem to find it too good to be true. They still struggle with feelings of guilt. It's as if they feel they still need to try to use additional methods to remove guilt. But it's no longer necessary that they try to make themselves worthy in God's sight. If only they could realise that God's view of the true believer in Christ is so different from their view of themselves. Think of the cross. God does that. Before him, every believer in Christ is holy, guilt-free and just as worthy as Christ himself, completely and totally forgiven. God sees us through the cross of Christ and in that way we appear perfect and without any remaining guilt. By reading God's word and praying we need to view ourselves through the cross of Christ. We are not the same old person we once were, and that's the main point, but our flawed sin nature can still impact negatively on our life for as long as we are down here. That being so, because God's promise is to decisively and deliberately refuse to recall our sins to his mind, we should follow his example by not dwelling on our past feelings. Our methods of coping with residual guilt feelings are inherently flawed, We are only tasked with living such as we are counted worthy of our calling. We cannot and need not try to actually make ourselves worthy, only to be counted worthy. Christ has already made us worthy, but we should aim to live worthily. Just as Christ has made us holy, but we should also aim to live a holy life. So much of the New Testament's teaching for the Christian believer is aimed at us becoming what we already are. At the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about the realm of the temporal and contrasts it with the realm of the eternal. Temporal things, that's things that belong to time, to the here and now, they are visible. But eternal things are heavenly and invisible. In connection with these things, we are told in the New Testament that we are already viewed as alive to God, justified, glorified, raised and seated with Christ, Our aim now is to live by faith in this temporal realm in a way that's consistent with these unseen realities. Let's appreciate, for God's word says it, that God has so dealt with our sin at the cross that we already appear before him as worthy and fully forgiven. We are in Christ, one with him. By God's amazing grace, we are seen as being as worthy as he is. Listen again to how this section of the letter to the Hebrews concludes. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Notice how the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this, adding, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. The believer in Christ is eternally free from any guilt. This is a wonderfully liberating truth, but it doesn't give us any license to sin. Instead, it's meant to free us from any guilt feelings. Satan may accuse, and he will, but no one can lay anything to the charge of God's elect. Romans chapter 8. We serve a risen saviour. We've not only identified with him in his dying, but in his living for us now, Romans five and verse ten.
2: good enough for me. I shall with <laughs>
0: once again a reminder that the transcripts of all the talks in this series are available as a book with the title a crisis of identity if you'd like one just write in and we'd also be pleased to hear any comments or questions you might have after listening today so the talk you've heard today is also available to download via the internet in audio or text format but to obtain the book simply ask for a crisis of identity and you can write in by email or by post and here's our address search for truth hayes press the barn flaxlands royal Wootton bassett swindon sn48dy uk our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Well, that's almost all we have, but it's been great to have your company. Many thanks. Next time, Brian will be looking into the Bible again and discussing the question, Am I really greatly blessed? I hope you'll join us to find out just how blessed we are, as Christians, of course. Until then, it's very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, our studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So cheerio and may God richly bless you.